The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 187 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I will be talking with Jamie Graham, Traffic and Transportation Department Manager at Carroll Engineering Corporation. Jamie's going to talk about project development plans and how they can set your projects up for success. Jamie's also going to talk about the skills that he looks for in project engineers when he is building his project teams. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the Civil Engineering Podcast. Now, before we jump in here, I do want to briefly mention a new service that we've been providing to civil engineering companies, which is our career roadmap service. Civil engineering professionals, they want to have career clarity. They want to understand the different career opportunities in their careers, and they want to be supported in those opportunities. And so we work with companies to create a career roadmap that shows their employees all the different career paths and career options within their firms. And then we also can work with them to build training programs like project management training, people skills, leadership, and also seller doer or business development courses that get attached to this roadmap so that at certain components of your journey, certain roadways, if you will, you will get training to get you to that next level within the company. The service has become very popular and it serves as a great recruiting tool to attract people within to your company. It serves as a great development tool to develop those within the firm. And it also serves as an awesome retention tool because when people have clarity in their career and the support to get to where they want to go, very rarely will they leave a company that provides both of those things because most companies do not. If you're interested, you can visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, click the contact button and reach out to us, or simply give us a call, 800 920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. One last thing before we dive into the conversation here with Jamie, one of the things we talked about was becoming a better communicator as an engineer. It's a term or a phrase I don't like because I feel like everybody says it, but no one tells you how to do it. So I kind of dug in a little bit with Jamie here. We talked about the different aspects of communication and how by working on each one of those, you can truly become a better communicator. Let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Jamie Graham. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome today's guest, Jamie Graham. Jamie is the Traffic and Transportation Department Manager at Carroll Engineering Corporation. Jamie, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate you having me today. Jamie, before we kind of jump in here, can you tell us a little bit more about what Carol does and then what you do at Carol on a day-to-day basis? Carol Engineering is a full-service engineering firm. Uh, we're located in Warrington, Pennsylvania, just about 20 minutes north of Philadelphia and south of Doylestown. We serve the southeast region of Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey as well. Our firm covers engineering from municipal engineering. Uh, to civil engineering, transportation engineering, structural, surveying, and host of other disciplines within the engineering field. I run the traffic and transportation group. We have a strong group with some young engineers and really serve all sorts of clients. We serve private clients, developers. Uh, We take care of traffic studies for them. 
and highway occupancy plans that we have to produce for access points along PennDOT-owned roads. We also serve counties for some of their needs for transportation solutions. And also we serve some of the larger agencies in, in the state and the surrounding states like PennDOT, the Turnpike Commission, DELDOT, NJDOT. Uh, so it's kind of a whole host of clients and, and things that we do. Personally, we also represent townships, a uh, few municipalities in southeastern Pennsylvania as their traffic engineer. We take care of land development reviews and, and traffic study reviews, as well as helping them out with capital improvement projects and whatever needs they have to serve their communities. Kind of jumping a little bit more into your specific department and transportation, what are some of the projects that you experience on a regular basis? What do they look like? It really changes on a day-to-day basis for most of the stuff we do. I mean, I, I did mention that we serve exterior clients to our company. We, we also serve internal departments. Uh, if we have a sanitary sewer break uh, for one of our clients and they need an emergency detour, my department comes in and, and we prepare those plans and get the necessary approvals to, to get to get the signs up and get the people out there to do the work. Some of the larger projects, we are working with uh, another firm. Uh, we're teamed with another firm and working on a PennDOT project for a new alignment between State Route 309 and the Northeast Extension of the Turnpike, the Pennsylvania Turnpike. There's five intersections that we're designing. Uh, we're doing the signal design and the signals are actually being designed as adaptive it's called the adaptive traffic signal technology. It's in a nutshell, it's sort of like smart technology where if the volumes, if the traffic volumes change, then the, the timings, like the red, the, the yellow, and the green lights, those timings adjust accordingly to, to try and give a more streamlined experience for the rider. We do a, a, a different, all sorts of size projects um, from the small stuff to, to some of the larger ones. So obviously you're a department manager and you've led many projects. What would you say are some of the main challenges that you find when you're leading projects like this? For like a bigger project, like the one I just mentioned is, it may sound cliche, but it's communication. I think in all walks of life, even in a marriage, I mean, it comes down to communication, whether something's successful or whether something's not successful and communicating between stakeholders, between the client and the engineer, between the project manager and, the, and those engineers, um, it all comes down to communication. So it's always a challenge. And, and for a project like the one I mentioned, the, um, connecting 309 and, and the Turnpike, there are many stakeholders. There are townships involved. There's state agencies involved. Um, the public's in, involved. And communicating what we're trying to do and, and how we're trying to do it and when we're trying to do it, it's like the biggest challenge for a project of that nature. In terms of that, because you're right, people say that a lot, you know, communication skills are everything, and especially in this world of kind of civil engineering and these types of projects. So for you personally, in terms of developing those skill sets, was it something that you did on the job? Was it something that you sought training for? How does one who's an engineer, and we don't get that kind of training in, in school, of course, how can you develop those skills or how did you do it? Growing up in the engineering industry, I had some pretty good mentors and bosses. I really followed their example and saw what they did on their on a day-to-day basis as far as learning how to speak, learning how to write, and really learning how to communicate. And so it it was almost like a ESP type thing where 
I just kind of watch them on a day-to-day basis. And, and moving forward in my career, now that I have a team of engineers working with me, working below me, the best way to teach them is to, to lead them by example and just to, to do as well as I can communicating and writing and conveying information in, in a simple manner, or at least based on who the audience is. Because, I mean, when we speak to engineers, we can almost speak our own language. And then when we're speaking to the public, we need to, to simplify things or just kind of tone it down a little bit to convey our message. So I think that's how I approach that. For our listeners out there, I mean, we do a lot of training on communication skills for engineers in our engineering leadership accelerator course. And one of the things I can recommend is kind of to Jamie's point, there's a lot of different aspects of communication. I think you'll hear all the time in your career, hey, you got to be a great communicator as a civil engineer, you know, working on these projects. And really, I think one way to take that and make it actionable is to think about the different aspects of communication. There's speaking, you know, in conversations, there's listening aspect of it, there's speaking in public. You know, there's all these different avenues of communication, and you can kind of think about kind of where you rate yourself, maybe in each one of those. Then you can decide on where you kind of need to get help. So, for example, if you need help public speaking, you're going to agency meetings, you're going to planning board meetings, you can join a Toastmasters or, you know, take some kind of speaking course and maybe improve those skill sets. If you really want to get better at conversational strategies, maybe it's a book you can read, or like Jamie said, you could find a mentor and talk to your mentors about how they did that. If you know you're going to be at a lot of public hearings, go watch some of the people in your company now and how they approach it, how successful they are. I think it's important to just talk about this for a minute because if you're an engineer and you want to improve your communication skills, I mean, that can mean a million different things. So you really need to kind of hone in a little bit on what your projects look like, what types of communications are you going to engage in, and then you can kind of put together a plan to kind of develop those types of skill sets. Because I think if you go through your career and keep saying to yourself, I need to improve my communication skills. You could be saying that for like five, 10 years and not really necessarily gain a lot of traction unless you kind of break it down a little bit. So to Jamie's point, that is probably the biggest challenge. We hear that all the time. Think about how you might be able to tackle that challenge. Jamie, we're going to talk a little bit about project development. And for our listeners that aren't too familiar with it, what does a project development plan entail? At least on my end and in my experience, the project development plan, it really can be tailored for each individual project, but overall, it needs to cover scheduling, it needs to cover budgeting, it needs to cover resources on the project, it needs to cover risk management. There's all sorts of things that a project development plan needs to be defining at the onset of a project. The two most important things that it needs to define are the purpose and the need of the project. Like, why are you doing this project? What's the need for this project? And if that stuff is not set, then the project can go off the rails really quickly. So it needs to be clearly, like we mentioned, communicated, set forth in advance of the project, and then lay out, it needs to lay out all of these different aspects. And, and when I talk about resources, it's who's going to be working on the project? What does the team look like? What's the, the hierarchy of the decision-making? The risk management aspect needs to look at what's the risk to the company? What's the risk to the stakeholders for doing this project? And how do we mitigate that risk or at least acknowledge it and properly design the project and advance forward to take care of that stuff? So there's lots of different aspects in developing that plan for the project. I would assume that's something, of course, that gets done, you know, at the beginning of the project. And is it something that you would then like maybe sit down with your team and use it to communicate things to them or who and how does that get shared in, in, from your experience? 
Correct. It, it does get drafted at the beginning of a project. Uh, typically, they're fluid documents, dynamic documents that they're always being updated and tweaked, and but they are communicated to the team on a regular, consistent basis just to make sure that uh, when the scope does change, I mean, that's, that's another challenge with projects is the scope constantly shifts, sometimes increases or decreases, and all the other aspects of that a project that developed the, the scheduling, the, the budgeting, all that stuff needs to be adjusted accordingly. And even the resources, it's a constant communication effort. And, and it's a document that kind of, it goes along with the team and goes along with the process. I did forget to mention that this document also goes over quality control and quality assurance. And that, that kind of stuff is so important and projects, especially the large ones, but I mean, across the board, any project needs quality assurance. But yes, it's it's definitely a, a fluid document that gets communicated on a regular basis to the team. So, Jamie, one of the biggest pitfalls to project management that I found, because we do a lot of project management training at EMI, tends to be you know scope creep, where people start doing work outside of the scope of work for whatever the reason may be. And I find that a lot of times the reason is because the people working on the project maybe aren't familiar with the scope. You know, maybe they're not aware of all the details of the scope. A client contacts them, asks them to do something. They want to help the client in an innocent fashion. They go ahead and do it. And, you know, it's not something that you were getting paid for. And now you're going to eat into your budget for other items. Does this plan kind of cover the scope of the project as well? It does. I mean, at, at the beginning, at the first parts of this plan cover the purpose and the need of the project and, and what the project is being done for, why is it being done, and then it goes over the scope. That needs to fold right into plan and, and really sets the baseline for how the project's going to go. And even if you have a scope, I mean, it needs to be clearly defined and written and communicated well, because there can be scopes that are very simple and, and not detailed, and you can really get caught in as the, pro- the project goes along getting out of scope. When we develop scopes, we try and communicate and list out like excluded items and things that we anticipate aren't going to be needed for the project. So if that comes up later in the process, the client, the we as the consultant kind of have that laid out that we had originally anticipated this wasn't going to be included in the project. And if we do need to add it in, then we can adjust the schedule and the budget and other things accordingly. That's a big challenge, you know, in terms of communicating scope change or uh, scope creep with the client. And to Jamie's point, what I found is that having a good kickoff meeting where you discuss how you're going to communicate these changes to the client is important because then when a change happens, they understand why you're communicating with them this way. You explained it to them already. You've kind of set the expectations. I mean, not that you want to be kind of hitting your clients with a lot of extras, of course, but you know, at the end of the day, this is engineering. Things happen. Rarely do they go as drawn up just because we're dealing with subsurface conditions. We're dealing with different things that we're not aware of. So you need to be prepared for scope change and you need to, I think, set the expectations with your clients that, listen, things happen. We've excluded some things in our proposal, which most people do. If something like this arises, we will contact you before we do anything on it. We'll give you a scope for that specific task. We'll give you a fee for that specific task. We'll seek your approval before we go forward on it. You know, I'm saying it like everyone does it. Unfortunately, everyone doesn't do it. And that's where people run into problems. But I do want to just highlight that here because I think a valuable part of this project development plan that Jamie's talking about is the ability to have the scope in there, is to have a document that you can review with people or use as an item in a kickoff meeting or something like that, that you can make sure you cover everything on the project. And that type of communication upfront in a project, to me, 
is absolutely critical in successful project management because if you don't communicate things up front, you just get into these projects and then they can go in a lot of different directions and you could be in, in a lot of trouble. So the project development plan sounds like a great tool for getting the project off on the right foot and then having a tool that you can then monitor and track the project off of. Like Jamie said, they're often dynamic documents that can be updated, schedule changes, something changes, you make an update and you can review it. So that sounds really valuable. So kind of taking it one step further here, Jamie, let's talk about engineers that work on these projects. We talked a little bit about communication, of course, being a critical skill in terms of being a project engineer or being a project manager. What other types of skills you feel are important to for a project engineer that they should be aware of? What I look for for building a team, uh, for finding the right people to work on projects are, are more, it's less about the engineering skills that they have, what if they can use MicroStation or if they can use Synchro. Or I really look for engineers that are empathetic, engineers that have a sense of humor. That's a huge part in, in my life. And Building a team is just being able to laugh at things and having a sense of calm about them. This industry, these projects, they definitely can, the pressure can ramp up based on all sorts of factors and to be able to, to handle that pressure and to kind of take a step back and realize like it's not the end of the world if, if something happens and there's always a way to figure it out. I really look for those kind of traits and engineers and having people like that on a team can really help a project and a department grow and a company grow when you have those kind of people because those are like core values. And then the rest of the stuff, I feel like if you have traits like that, we can teach you the rest of the stuff and be really successful. That sounds a lot like, you know, again, more kind of people interaction skills, confidence, the ability to kind of stay calm under pressure. And again, I think all of those skills are things that you can develop as an engineering professional. A lot of it will probably come with on-the-job experience. But I think also you can put yourself in positions to build those skills by volunteering, by getting involved in things, by making your manager aware that you want to do certain types of things or come to client meetings, sit in on meetings when and where you can if the budget allows for it, because that can really help you to learn some of those skills, learn some of the ways to act with people. Jamie's point is great is that you know things are going to happen. I mean, let's not, you know, no projects are perfect. You're going to have to deal with things. That's what engineers do. We tend to solve a lot of problems on these projects. So when you run into something like that, your ability to kind of stay calm and look for the solutions to the problems is a great trait to have. To Jamie's first point there about building the team, it is something to think about if you are a manager, whether it's a department manager or project manager on a big project, you do need to have a team with complementary parts. I mean, like Jamie said, someone's got to be able to maybe run one kind of software. Someone has to be able to effectively communicate with the clients. Somebody has to maybe be able to do stormwater or whatever the case may be, whatever kind of highway work you're doing. That's an important thing to think about and consider when you're hiring, when you're building teams, when you're looking across the company. And I've actually been talking to a lot of companies about this lately because a lot of companies in our industry right now are so busy. There's so much work, not necessarily enough people to do it that they've had to even do some more kind of cross-training to help have a more versatile staff. So that, you know, if someone in another office is not that busy and one office is busy, you can kind of share. So there's definitely a lot to consider when you're building teams, building a company, like Jamie said. But I think having some versatility and flexibility across your team is certainly something in today's world that can be very important with the workload and things of that nature. Jamie, let's discuss the specific project that you've been involved in. This project is the I-276, I-95, Route 13 connector project. What was your role on that project? Carol Engineering, we were teamed with 
few other firms. This is a major project for this region. We were responsible for traffic signal design, uh, roadway design, fiber optic cable relocation design, signing and pavement marking, uh, traffic control, doing the, the staging for the contractor during the construction. We had a lot of pieces of the design under our umbrella when we were going through this project. In 1956, there was a law passed that, that kind of set forth the interstate system in the country. I and mean, this is when Interstate 95 from Florida all the way to Maine began to be built. And when that process happened and when it was going along, there was a gap right near Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, to the east of where we are now, close to the Pennsylvania-New Jersey border, where there was not connectivity for 95 for any, any vehicles traveling north or south. They had to get off and kind of maneuver around the turnpike and, and some other roads to get back onto 95. So this project was a major effort to connect that and connect that last piece. It was 65 years in the making. Um, and then there were a whole bunch of other changes uh, involving connecting 95 with some flyover ramps, some high-speed flyover ramps to I-276. So it's a major project for the region. A lot of the engineers around in southeastern Pennsylvania touched this project. Uh, so we're definitely happy to be a part of it and proud of the work that we did in this project. Wrapped up construction earlier this year. It's up for an ACEC Diamond Award as well. What were some of the challenges that you had to overcome with this major project, especially in the midst of a pandemic? The project was in construction. I think it was from 2017 until 21 this year. And then the pandemic hit uh, back in March of last year. A lot of what we do as traffic engineers and in, in designing signals and, and traffic control is, is we base our designs off of like data collection at the onset of a project. And for this kind of work, we really need to start off with traffic counts. And, and we had traffic counts that were used for the analysis, for all of that kind of stuff that were taken before the pandemic hit. And then the project was right smack in the middle of construction. And then the pandemic hit. Traffic just dropped off completely. I, I mean, it might have been like 70%. One of the challenges was we had timing set up for the signals based on those original counts, and, and they kind of got messed up when the counts dropped. Um, we also had traffic control set for the intersections at the base of the interchange, and they were based on much larger volumes. So the contractor was able to work with us. We, we worked with them to redesign the traffic control. To, I mean, we had a, in one location, we had two through lanes going through, and we had a signal we didn't need to have two through lanes. So we allowed the contractor to only have to keep traffic going on one lane. And they were able to do a little bit more work when that other lane was able to be closed and we didn't have to have traffic running on it. So that was a big challenge over the past couple of years to maneuver the design and kind of meld it based on what happened in the world. The lighting there wasn't adaptive. It was not adaptive, no. The two signals we worked on, they're, they're called, uh, they were coordinated, they're, they talked to each other, but there wasn't an adaptive system put in place. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Actually, you mentioned that adaptive system before and thinking of the pandemic and, you know, how many people are going to go back to offices, how many people are going to be remote. It's interesting that the traffic counts because of that could certainly be variable, you know, going forward, which means that adaptive, those adaptive signals might become, you know, more popular or might become something that are used more commonly. You know, I thought about that a lot because we talked to a lot of our clients, so I'll do highway work and roadway work. And during the pandemic, I mean, there were some positives like, hey, there's no one on the road, so we can get the construction done easier. But then to your point, we based the lighting on 
the traffic counts and that are now well reduced. So, you know, there's always, I guess, benefits and risks of doing different things, but it's always interesting to hear about some of these projects and how they were handled during the pandemic. So last question here in this segment for you, Jamie, what do you feel are the biggest problems that are facing the construction industry today based on your experience and what you do on a daily basis? The landscape is definitely changing um, as far as what we do as highway and traffic designers and the projects that we are getting constructed. Autonomous and connected vehicles are really starting to take off. I mean, they, they have been taken off, but it, it seems like they're it's ramping up with their prevalence and in usage with riders across the country and, and across the world. There's going to come a time when we, we're going to have to question whether or not we actually need a traffic signal. If vehicles are talking to one another and they will not need lights to tell them when to go and when not to go. There is a whole shifting of the landscape of what we do probably in the next couple of decades. We have to be able to react on the fly and, and be proactive. I mean, for what's coming and do we really need to put in a giant interstate connection here and when maybe in the future there's going to be mass transit and, and other connected and auto, autonomous automated vehicle systems that may, may not need like a six-lane highway here. That's something that I've been focused on and, and definitely have seen a lot of discussion on and, and research on for the way that the, that the industry is now and, and where we're going. This is something too that we're going to explore a little bit on the podcast too and some upcoming episodes is that to Jamie's point, everything's obviously changing so quickly with technology. But unfortunately, the curriculum in colleges for engineering is not changing with the technology that quickly. So a lot of the stuff that Jamie's referring to, yes, the consulting firms have to adjust to this on the fly. The agencies have to adjust to this on the fly. But also you have students that are learning stuff in school that they're probably going to have to relearn a lot of stuff in industry now because the school can't just keep changing the curriculum to all these new technologies as they come out to start to learn about all these different things. So it's definitely a challenge, I think, for both working professionals, engineering students, engineering schools, that I think is going to be something to really keep an eye on here moving forward. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with Jamie and we're going to finish off by putting him on the civil engineering career hot seat. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right, we're back with Jamie Graham, Traffic and Transportation Department Manager at Carroll Engineering Corporation. And now it's time to put Jamie on the hot seat. Ready, Jamie? Go for it. Are there any specific rituals or routines that you practice every day? For example, maybe something you do every morning or at lunchtime, just something that you kind of do consistently on a daily basis that has helped you to be a successful professional. The one thing I do every morning, or at least I try to do every morning, is, is make my bed. And it's something my grandmother taught me, and she would never tell me the reason why. I remember being a kid and being like, why do I have to keep doing this? I'm not sleeping in it. Nobody's going to be in here looking at it. What's the point? And she kept saying, I'm, just, I'm going to figure it out. And as I got older in my career and, and started really getting into being an engineer, my life became a list of checkboxes. I have one of those every morning and I, I have to go through and it's sort of a mental thing, but I need to check things off. And that makes my day just go better that I completed tasks. Making a bed in the morning, it's a first task that I can complete. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's pretty simple. But it, before I even leave the house, I've completed a task. It kind of sets myself 
up for a better day. It sets my day off right. I already have it subconsciously in my head that, hey, I, I've gotten one little thing done. What's going to stop me from getting another little thing done? And by the time the end of the day comes around, I've gotten 15 little things done. And that's what I need to be doing as a department manager, running a team, running projects, and also working on business development and marketing for the company. I need to be checking things off. If my day turns out to be crap and I don't get a lot of things done at work and, and things kind of fall off the rails, I go home and my, my bed's made. I at least feel a little bit better about myself at the end of the day. There's a great speech. I think a book too, Make Your Bed by U.S. Navy Admiral William McCraven, which I've seen, I've watched, and I keep telling my kids every day to do it. They're not happy with me, but yeah, it certainly is a good way to build habits and I think get a little momentum going at the, at the beginning of your day. So that's great. All right, Jamie, what's one book that you might recommend to engineers or just a book in general that you might have found to be helpful for you in your professional or personal development, if you have one? A book that I recently was given from a good friend of mine, uh, it's called The Four Agreements, and it's written by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's a quick read, but it's a pretty heavy book as far as what it tries to tell you. And it talks about four agreements, four mantras you should strive to, to have in your life. I won't tell you all four, but um, just not to be a spoiler, but the two of them are be impeccable with your word and always do your best. They're pretty simple. They can really go a long way. And being impeccable with your word just means be truthful, be honest, just be competent in what you say and what you do. And then and always doing your best. I mean, if I have somebody, if I have an engineer working for me and they're impeccable with their word and they always do their best, then I mean, I, what else can I ask for? out of a human being to do those kind of things. And it also applies in life as well, but I really do like that book. Jamie, next one, thinking back on your managers of the past, you know, maybe you think of your favorite manager or managers and you don't need to name any names, but what made them your favorite? We're just trying to understand what you feel are some of those characteristics of managers that have been really good managers for you. I think the few that were my favorite, they always seemed to have my best interest in mind when they would, in their daily business lives. They always pushed me to do better. And I really appreciated that. And, and not only with the engineering, but they pushed me outside of the company to get more involved in societies and get more involved in different things and do things to benefit my career that not necessarily would have helped them in any way, but they're, they were acting as a coach and trying to lift me up as a role model. And, and I really appreciated that. I try and do that with my guys. I mean, I've, I've reached a certain point in my career where I think my role right now is to, to lift other people up, especially the young people and this industry and industry in general is, it can be kind of tough to navigate, not having somebody kind of guiding you and helping you in certain situations. And what do I do here? What do I do there? So I really appreciated that for what I was given. And I really try and do that to, to my guys as well. That is, we hear that a lot. Managers, an engineer's favorite manager was that manager that really was invested in their career growth and development and supported them in that way. And you know, I think that's a great thing for a manager to do. And obviously, I mean, obviously it works. That's why people often say that in the answer to that question. All right, Jamie, I've got one final question here. We call it the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So you get into an elevator with a civil engineer, you have about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give them career advice in that short period of time. What would you tell them? I would tell them two things. I would say, don't ever think you know too much and don't ever think you know too little. Don't ever think you know too much. Don't let it get to your head that you know everything because you don't. 
and the best engineers and the best people, the best salesmen, the best teachers. I mean, they're, they're the ones that constantly strive to learn from their successes, from their failures, and, and just learn every day. Don't ever think you know too little. Don't ever be afraid to, to ask a question. I mean, even the, the smartest people, like I said, don't know everything. And it's a, it's a sign of strength to be able to say, hey, I, I don't really know what you're talking about. Can you explain that again? Can we go over this? And it kind of circles back to what we first talked about with communication. And to just be honest and be impeccable with your word and just say, hey, I can't figure this out. But let's, how do we do that? How do we get to, to where we need to be to solve this problem? And maybe that's a little bit more than 30 seconds. I would hit those people in the elevator with those two things. All right. Well, that's great. Well, listen, Jamie, we appreciate you spending some time with us here today in the Civil Engineering Podcast. A lot of what you talked about with the project development plan, setting up projects successfully is really important. And of course, a lot of these items here in, in the hot seat segment, I think can be very beneficial to one's career. So thanks so much, Jamie from Carroll Engineering Corporation for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jamie. I really did enjoy the conversation, specifically the part around communication, thinking about communication in different buckets or different categories and trying to work on each one of those to improve your overall communication skills, which is something that, again, people often tell civil engineers to work on, but they don't tell us how to do it. You can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 187. You will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. If you do want to check out our new EMI Career Roadmap service, where we build a career roadmap to help your employees understand their different career pathways and options, we could also talk about our PM training, people skills training, and our seller doer business development training. You can visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org or give us a call at 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.